0: I'm Tasha Pierce, and this is Sinister Silhouettes.
1: Unfamiliar cars parked around the neighborhood, strange men ruffling through the rubbish, old, odd-clicking sounds on the phone, and actual home visits from federal agents.
0: Since 2002, the NYPD has engaged in religious profiling and surveillance of Muslims. The scope of the surveillance is every Muslim community in mosque within 100 miles of the city. Now, there are those who believe the surveillance is warranted after the 9-11 attacks taken out by radical Islamists. According to an NYPD intelligence report, any Muslim is subject to being radicalized and turned into terrorists. They use the usual means to assess was worth targeting with their surveillance. Number one, becoming socially active as in activism. Number two, growing a beard. And number three, abstain, abstaining from alcohol and other dumb shit because if I were a radical terrorist wanting to blend in, I'd maybe shave my beard and not be an activist. Anyway, the NYPD is mapping neighborhoods that are predominantly Muslim, of course, excluding inhabitants in those neighborhoods who are Christians or Jews because obviously they can't be radicalized. And they also hang out at mosques using video and photos to identify who is worshiping there. In some jurisdictions, there are cameras on light poles aimed directly at the mosque. So imagine getting up and going to uh, your place of worship any Sunday, any given Sunday and being followed, being tracked, having photos taken of yourself and your family as you enter and exit the church doors. How exactly would you feel when your only crime would be being whatever religion you choose to practice? In this case, a Muslim. Well, informants and spies, intelligent databases, you name it, the NYPD has deployed it to protect the city from terrorism. Never mind the obvious constitutional rights issue, because rights can be abused in the name of national security, right?
2: If I could, I mean, I, I um, there's another problem with that, which is that even if you have nothing to hide, the cost of of being targeted by the surveillance state is immense. So so uh, the Center for Constitutional Rights represented the the Muslim community in New Jersey following the NYPD's blanket surveillance program after 9-11 and not a single lead was produced despite um, thousands of man hours and immense resources put behind that program. But the experience of our clients is is really of being utterly demeaned, having their every aspect of their life, no matter how quotidian, no matter how normal, subject to scrutiny, one of our clients. Uh, operated a, a, a school for Muslim girls out of the basement of her home. The NYPD was there writing down the the, the, the students who went in, their ethnic makeup. And, and to suggest that that doesn't impose tremendous cost on individuals trying to live their lives is is um, it, it. I mean, this is really, I think, the beauty of the film. It forces us to confront what it means to, to have the state turn its power on you in this way.
0: Then a person like me asks, well, what about domestic terrorists? What does that look like?
3: massacre is not being called terrorism and some say it's time to change the law. Jim Axelrod has more on that. This week we've seen a nation can be terrified without the cause necessarily labeled terrorism.
1: It is time for a variety of reasons to have a domestic terrorism criminal statute.
3: Currently there's a criminal statute for international terrorism but not domestic. Former federal prosecutor Mary McCord thinks in an era of mass casualties, it's time that change. Violent extremism isn't
1: limited to Islamist extremism or extremism that's done on behalf of or at the direction of a foreign terrorist organization.
3: With no specific penalties on the books for domestic terrorism, mass killers like Timothy McVeigh face charges of using a weapon of mass destruction or Dylan Roof who faced murder and weapons charges. But the label domestic terrorism makes the motive clear, says McCord, now at Georgetown Law, in a way that sharpens our response. It shows the significance of this type of a
1: crime and why it's important for it to be looked at and treated for what it is, which is terrorism. It's a crime done for the very purpose of
3: terrorizing
1: people.
4: Federal
3: domestic terror law would also mean FBI-led investigations and the creation of deeper, wider databases to keep track of mass violence. Of course, there is a potential problem. Labeling domestic hate groups as terrorists, like Al-Qaeda or ISIS, raises constitutional questions. That starts to get very close to the line
1: of potentially infringing on free speech, freedom to associate and express one's views, however abhorrent they may be to others within the population.
3: During the Obama administration, the Justice Department considered creating a domestic terrorism statute. We asked the Trump DOJ if it's continuing the work. A spokesman declined comment.
0: Well, in the U.S. in 2019, two thirds of the plots and attacks were by right wing extremists. Make that 90% in the first half of 2020.
5: When a homegrown terrorist attack occurs, the immediate association might seem obvious.
0: The The FBI has been routinely fighting homegrown radicals. The FBI is
5: very, very concerned about those travelers. Breathless media reports about jihadist terrorism. But there's another homegrown terrorist problem on the rise. I'm here because
4: our Republican values are, number one, standing up for local white identity, our identities under threat. Uh, Number two, the free market. And number three, killing
5: Jews. Right-wing extremists are one of the biggest and most consistent sources of domestic terrorists in the U.S. Because of the movement's deep-seated place in American society, the hate crimes continue. James Alex Fields Jr. has been charged with second-degree murder after allegedly ramming his car into a crowd of counter-protesters at the white nationalist rally in Virginia, killing one woman and injuring at least a dozen. Adam W. Perrington has been charged with killing one Indian man and injuring two other people after he opened fire in a Kansas bar. James H. Jackson admitted that he traveled to New York to target and kill black men. He fatally stabbed one man with a sword before being arrested by authorities. And Jeremy Joseph Christian fatally stabbed two men on a Portland train after shouting anti-Muslim hate speech. Those are just some of the most visible incidents already under investigation as hate crimes in 2017. The frequency of right-wing extremist attacks is hard to overlook. They've been skyrocketing since the 1990s. One study said far-right ideology inspires about 300 violent attacks a year. And PBS recently reported that jihadist terrorists have killed 95 people in the U.S. since 9-11. Far-right extremists have killed 68 during the same time period. That number includes the death of a woman in Charlottesville on August 12th. The Anti-Defamation League studied 150 U.S. terrorist attacks inspired by the right wing in the past 25 years. They said most of the right-wing attacks are launched by white supremacists and anti-government extremists, and the majority of the violence carried out was aimed at specific human targets. The ADL says the right-wing extremist violence is undercovered in the media, partly because incidents often happen in rural areas, far from urban hubs, and partly, the ADL says, because there is inadequate awareness among policymakers and the public alike of the threat posed by violent right-wing extremists.
0: In case you're wondering, right-wing extremists are in far-white militia groups, neo-Nazis, and skinheads, among other mostly male, mostly white organizations. Again, if these statistics make you feel uneasy, they should, because your local church or Trader Joe's should be under round-the-clock surveillance Local law enforcement should be taking photos of your license plate when you pull up to the soccer field. If the whole country followed the example of the NYPD, the entire fucking country would be under the microscope. So shame on the NYPD. But you know what organization wrote the blueprint for this type of operation? The FBI.
2: Since August of 1999, I've been working to legally expose the very real and foreseeable Middle Eastern terrorist threats to American citizens at home and abroad. The successful
6: investigation, which was codenamed Vulgar Betrayal, V-U-L-G-A-R, Betrayal.
0: Operation Vulgar Betrayal is what it was called. It being the constant surveillance of a Muslim community in Illinois. Oh, and this surveillance began before 1985. FBI surveillance was nothing new to black people. Remember COINTELPRO. uh, All throughout the civil rights era, our leaders and activists were under constant scrutiny. And there are even records that show the FBI tried to extort Martin Luther King Jr. into committing suicide.
6: One of the largest things the FBI has ever had to endure on its not-so-spotless record was revealed in its entirety Thursday letter asking Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to kill himself, signed, sealed, and delivered by J. Edgar Hoover's FBI. The letter was discovered by a Yale history professor who penned an op-ed for the New York Times. Beverly Gage notes the letter occupies a unique place in the history of American intelligence, the most notorious and embarrassing example of Hoover's FBI run amok. The letter, known as the suicide letter, refers to the leader of the civil rights movement as sexually psychotic, a dissolute abnormal imbecile and a fraud it ends with the famous warning you have just 34 days there is but one way out for you you better take it before your filthy abnormal fraudulent self is bare to the nation the letter along with a purported audio tape of mlk's extramarital affairs was sent to the king home and discovered by his wife coretta scott king dr king assumed the letter and tape were from the fbi and after his death a senate committee confirmed as much In an age where whistleblowers like Edward Snowden have exposed just how far agencies like the NSA or FBI can reach, the newly released full version of the suicide letter is worrisome to many. The Electronic Frontier Foundation released a statement on the letter. The implications of these types of strategies in the digital age are chilling. Imagine Facebook chats, porn viewing history, emails, and more made public to discredit a leader who threatens the status quo or used to blackmail. These are not far-fetched ideas, and Vox calls the letter a terrifying reminder of what government surveillance agencies can be capable of. FBI Director James Comey acknowledged this blemish in the FBI's past when he was first introduced as director, telling the crowd, I'm going to direct that all new agents and analysts also visit the Martin Luther King Memorial here in Washington. I think it will serve as a different kind of lesson, one more personal to the Bureau, of the dangers in becoming untethered to oversight and accountability.
0: But those are tales for another day. (laughs) Today we're discussing Bridgeview, a suburb of Chicago with a large Muslim population. A population that went about daily life in a fishbowl, always being watch men on the telephone poles rigging things up to eavesdrop on phone calls others digging through the trash fbi agents coming through the neighborhood asking questions about residents
1: that damn car is always parked right there it's like how you see in the movies like those pizza vans that are just sitting staked out in front of your house when you pass the van by like they pull up a book or a magazine like we can see you
0: now, this may sound like conspiracy theories and paranoia, but there's proof. Enter Asia Bandui, a filmmaker and journalist who began her life in Bridgeview. Asia is the director of The Feeling of Being Watched, a documentary that chronicles her journey to finding out just how far down the rabbit hole goes.
2: Yeah, I think that's where we started this discussion. I think, you know, one of the less addressed and, and um, uh, a part of this uh, experience that we don't reckon with is is really the kind of psychological trauma that um, the communities that, that I represent, that Asia um, has has um, painted such a beautiful picture of in her film, go through. So the experience for so many Muslims when these kinds of programs are revealed is not, is not shock. It's just um, the kind of validation and um, assurance that comes from recognizing that you're not actually crazy for seeing the things that you see and feeling the way that you feel about it. But, but it certainly does create a level of paranoia that I think um, you know people should not take take lightly. If the experience for so many people of color, for example, uh, Muslim community members, when dealing with other members of their community, is one of fear, because they don't know whether or not proximity to that person brings them within the sweep of a, ter- of a, mm-hmm. a surveillance program, or because, as as again, as we uncovered in some of our litigation. Um, Law enforcement agencies were in the practice of putting individuals in mosques for the specific purpose of striking up pretextual conversations to to suss out people's political opinions. Then you really start to tear at the fiber of what holds a community together.
0: After being denied a Freedom of Information Act request, Asia sued the FBI and Department of Justice and won. The documents pertaining to Operation Vulgar Betrayal totaled over 30,000 pages. 30,000 pages of information compiled on individuals and families, a community who had committed no crime.
1: The government always needs a convenient villain, and in order to sustain some narratives about Communities of color, about American Muslims, they need to sort of manufacture um, reasons why this is something that will protect national security. And because so many Americans cling to this myth of meritocracy, of impartiality, um, it sort of lends itself to this notion that, well, of course, if the government is looking into a certain community, it must have its reasons. And I think sometimes, even as the community that's being targeted, we also begin to believe that like, well, if we haven't done anything wrong, right, then we have nothing to hide, and that the American government has our best interests at heart. And so I, you know, I kind of chuckle to myself, because, you know, as a Muslim, as a descendant of enslaved Africans, I I feel like this intersection of identities really kind of lends itself to Um, always sort of keeping a skeptical eye on the government and and sort of always questioning the narrative, the public narrative um, that's being disseminated, because we often find that it's false.
0: Fulgur betrayal didn't result in any terrorism conviction. So what exactly was the point?
1: But they wrote this. This is Anthony, who says, I'm going to go out on a crazy limb here and say the FBI had good reasons to put resources into this surveillance and race didn't come into the equation at all. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, piggy so everyone- like back off what Dr. Rashad was saying. This idea that if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to worry about is a, a claim that we came across a lot, even in our own community in Bridgeview. Um, people really felt that if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to worry about. And the entire premise of this statement is false because it, it's based on this idea that innocence matters and it doesn't. Um, based on your racial profile, based on your last name, based on your religion, even if you have nothing to hide, you have a hell of a lot to worry about.
0: Asia is still pouring over documents that are being spoon fed and heavily redacted and possibly maybe a, at some point will have an answer and hopefully she gets the answers she deserves.
1: Do you think that this long investigation was justified?
3: If there had been crimes uncovered uh, or crimes prosecuted, that would have been justified. Are, are you trying to say, do you think the investigation you know, was as a result of Islamic phobia or prejudice? Excuse me, I, I, I do not. That certainly was not. My worldview cer- certainly is not. Um, had I ever thought that that was what was happening i would have not been part of it because that is not obviously who i am maybe not so obvious but it isn't who i am Uh, i I mean if it's a bigger question which is, is there is there
0: this was a vulgar betrayal indeed and that's it that's all for this week's episode of sinister silhouettes uh talking about the unfair surveillance of muslim americas because i just told you about two neighborhoods two communities if there are two, you know that there are more. Criminalizing a person's religion, a person's race, it's against everything that the Constitution is supposed to stand for. And yes, I know that there are times when you have to take a deeper look into situations because of the threat, the ever-present threat of terrorism. But terrorism comes in all color. And when we allow law enforcement, the highest law enforcement agency in the land, if we allow that to become precedent for the FBI, the ramifications snowball out of effect. We saw in a microcosm, again, I'm using this word a lot lately, but we saw this microcosm of what happened in Bridgeview. People began to not only mistrust the, the law enforcement, they began to mistrust one another because you never know who is a plant, who is a paid shill, and who just to make a name for themselves with this law enforcement agency will give bad information just to get in their good graces. It it becomes a situation of you never know who to trust. And that is an unfortunate side effect, but it is a side effect nonetheless. Um, When we as uh, young people learned about Martin Luther King and the uh, contentious relationship that he had with the FBI for standing up for the rights of himself and his people, people who looked like him, I initially was like, how, why? I thought that was law enforcement. And then I found out that there are human beings in law enforcement. And as long as you have human beings, there is the potentiality for becoming corrupted by your own beliefs or corrupted by your own prejudices, your own stereotypes. And in that era, the, the stereotype was that like, basically black people were subhuman. And listening to the letter that, or the excerpt of the letter that J. Edgar Hoover had sent to Martin Luther King Jr., basically he spelled it out. He said he believed that he was a subhuman person. So you know, take that as you may. That's the highest officer of the highest law enforcement agency in the land, and no, he did not have the backs of black people. And sometimes I feel like there are those people who get it, and then I hear the guy at the end of uh, of this interview. Mark Flessner, who was an uh, attorney general, and he was talking to Asya uh, Bandui, and I hope I'm saying her last name correctly. Uh, it, it is an ethnic last name. And, and if I'm saying it wrong, please correct me by giving me the phonetic version of it, please. But uh, yeah, when he's saying, well, it's obvious that I don't feel that way. Well, then he thought about it. No, it's not obvious because you're saying one thing and you're doing something else. And you're saying, I am not an Islamophobe. I am not Islamophobic, but you signed off on something that was inherently Islamophobic. (laughs) And it's just like, uh, I'm not a racist, but you are complicit in other people's racism. You get what I'm saying? And, and, And This can continue to go, oh, I'm not homophobic, but you are complicit in someone else's homophobia. And we can continue going on and on and on. What I'm saying is you can't straddle the fence on some of these things. And I think that's what uh, Mr. Flessner was attempting to do. He was attempting to straddle the fence. Uh, I like to make sure that I uh, credit where I got a lot of my clips from today. It was from. Uh, the show called The Stream from Al Jazeera English. The hosts were Femi Oke and Malika Bilal. And the guests were Asiya Bundawi, who is the filmmaker and journalist behind the, the documentary, The Feeling of Being Watched, which I am recommending for everyone to watch. It's not a long, drawn out thing. And it has an awful lot of information, of especially if you want to see Uh, how the people in that community actually felt being under this type of surveillance for the amount of time that they were and still are still are okay there was also dr camila rashad who uh, was also making remarks with asia and dr i'm sorry uh, omar farah who is an attorney those three were the guests in femioka femi okay and Malika Bilal were the hosts and they did a uh, stupendous job. I will be putting all of that on TC by TB at, G- no, tcbytb.com so that you can find a video that I used as a reference. And the other videos also, one, one from Washington Post, one from CBS, and one from Newsy. So all of that will be on the website. And if you like to comment Uh, tell me what you think about today's episode you can do that at tcbytb at gmail.com I'm not going to hold you guys up or make this a long drawn out thing I'm just going to say this next week we're not talking about law enforcement if you guys were tired of hearing about law enforcement this is the week to listen because next week it will not be about law enforcement however I will be putting out a special episode on YouTube and that's also at Sinister Silhouettes on YouTube to talk about the Breonna Taylor decision that came down, uh, I decided to do that on a YouTube situation instead of on my regular podcast feed. Um, so if you want to know how I feel about that, keep your eyes and ears open at Sinister Silhouettes. Do me a favor, go over there and subscribe. Cause I don't have no subscribers. But I have to put my feelings into the ether and uh, and give people an opportunity to get give me some feedback on that as well. Uh, so after you've done the whole Sinister Silhouettes on YouTube and maybe go over to iTunes and give me a rating or review and also uh, tell a friend, share the show, all of that good stuff. After you do all that, I'm going to demand that you wash your hands. I'm going to hope and pray that you're wearing your masks. And I'm gonna tell you to stay the fuck out the shadow. Peace.